Hey, I'm Tiffany. Hey, I'm Tasha. And you're listening to The, the she Boss Series, a new series navigating women at every level through the unspoken rules of business. The she Boss Series is designed to discuss the scenarios that HR doesn't speak about and men don't understand. We're bringing honest conversations and solutions from successful women. On today's episode, we invited actress, comedian Erica Ash to join the She Boss conversation. She discussed the highs and lows of working in Hollywood and her unshakable faith in God. She also discussed the law of attraction and how that helped manifest her career. This interview is facilitated by on air personality Paulana Lamonier. Stay tuned. Enjoy. Y'all good? Thank you so much for that. All right, let's get started. So, man, first of all, your role as Gwen Sullivan. Tell me, you know, you were telling me a little bit backstage about how it happened. Um, I don't know, you guys are fans of Survivor's Remorse, yes? Thank you. So, who was, who was really, like, disappointed that all of a sudden it was just kind of, yeah, yeah. I, she, no, we were just as surprised as you all were that it got pulled. We didn't get any warning. So, you know, a lot of people were like, well, why didn't you tell anybody? Because we didn't know. Like, it was just, you know. But, yeah, I mean, we were hoping to at least have one more season so we can kind of sew everybody's storylines up and give you guys the proper kind of ending. But it was kind of out of our hands. So, sorry. So let's talk about that a little bit. You tell me a little bit backstage. I don't know if you mind sharing, but how, you know, uh, Survivor's Remorse kind of just ended abruptly, but then this role, how God be working, <laughs> Shata, he be working. Shut about a Honda. Okay. He be working, and how this opportunity just kind of came out of the blue. Tell me a little bit about that. It's very interesting because um, I got the offer for In Contempt about three weeks before we got the decision for Survivor's Remorse. And uh, my team and I, we were trying to figure out what to do because, you know, Survivor's Remorse is kind of what kind of got everything jumping. And I was like, I can't walk away from that. That's family, and that's a really good show. And we have, our cast on that show was really, really tight. So I was like, I don't want to walk away from that. Can we figure out a way to try to do both? And then they were like, nah, I don't know if we could work it out. And so, but we were still holding to see if we would even get a pickup. And so it came down to, I want to say within like a couple of days, and I think I misspoke with you, we actually had to make a decision with BET, and I was like, okay, listen, we'll figure it out with Survivors Morris. I know we will. We said yes to BET, and literally within two days, Stars was like, so we're dropping the show, so good luck to everybody. And I was like, oh, praise them, because those bills, they come due on the 1st and the 15th, <laughs> whether you're working or not. So what you want to be doing is getting that young work. And amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And so tell me now, you got the job. Amen. So, <laughs> so you got the job. Tell me a little bit about your character, Gwen Sullivan, because she looks like she don't play any type of games. I think it's funny because I was telling somebody, I think the through line with all of my characters is like a little bit of pop off at the mouth. So I don't know if it's like my character or if it's like me, but like that seems to kind of be like a running thing. Like no matter how ghetto or polished my character is, like they always have that. But Gwen Sullivan, she's a very feisty, very driven um, woman who definitely believes that everybody deserves a fair shake. 
And what's different about this show from other law procedurals like Law & Order, which I'm a huge fan of, um, is that it's from the public defender side. Normally you see law dramas, they're from the prosecutor side, and it's like, get the bad guy, he's wrong. But then you realize a lot of these people are guilty until proven innocent when they walk into the court. And you also realize how much of a disadvantage they walk in with, not just because they're black and not just because people assume that they're guilty, but because their representation doesn't have the resources that the prosecutor side has. The public defenders, we don't even get we, like I'm a public defender. But in my mind, I am. You in character. And that's how I sell this, mm -hmm. okay? Um, we don't get even all the information about the case until, you know, days, sometimes weeks after the prosecution has had it and has poured over it and has, you know, blacked out stuff that they don't want us to know. So we're basically, you know, we're working with, with you know, one eye blind, one hand tied behind our back, and that's it. We don't, it, the, the stacks of files that public defenders have to work, uh, you know, for a week is, it, it is, it is a ridiculous and unrealistic amount of work for any one person to be able to do, but they don't have people to assist them. They don't have the funds. They don't have the help from the police department that the prosecutors have. And so there's, there's that disadvantage as well. Um, so for me, it was really important to play a character who was so driven to seek justice for people who truly deserve it. Because that, you know, that's, that's one of the things that this country stands for, like, and justice for all. Like, what happened to that, you know? And I think this show really brings that to light. Um, but Gwen's not perfect. She's got, you know, she's got stuff. We all have stuff. I have stuff. You have stuff. Don't act like you don't have stuff. <laughs> um, Gwen's stuff is, you know, she's got a bit of a shopping addiction. Like a, like a scoshy, scoshy little, you know, shoe, clothes, hats, bags kind of addiction. Um, and she's also addicted to energy drinks, flame bolts. It just kind of happened, you know? She has to stay up late. She has a lot of cases. These things happen. Um, and she's addicted to her work. I think that's a very real addiction that people overlook. You know, being a workaholic, you wear your body down, you wear your mind down, you, you neglect all the aspects of your life that you should be giving attention to to make sure that you're okay. Um, so she's got her addictions. She's also got several lovers, <laughs> praise God, because in real life, <laughs> That's not okay, something I, I, I saw that. Yeah. He fine, girl. Let me tell you something. Sometimes I mess up those takes on purpose. Here's why. <laughs> because I feel like <laughs> it's the only time I'm going to get it. So why not just milk it? Why not milk it? I mean, he fine. Like, he fine. Just send him, like, say, you know, I know this young girl, Paulana. She, you know, just send him my number. I won't. No. <laughs> That's cool. Feel like I should keep it real because this is a safe space. Mm. It's a safe space. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> but no, I, let's talk about how she, uh, Gwen is a workaholic. I feel like, you know, as a black woman, she's a black, she's black. She's a woman, and she's a public defender. I feel like she is a workaholic because she has to compensate to be twice as good to get half, you know, just to make sure that her clients are, you know, getting off or making sure justice is served. How do you feel about, how do you feel about that? And as far as work is concerned, do you see yourself some similarities between you and Gwen? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> we... She definitely has to work twice as hard. Um, 
and that's not just because of her position in work. Because I really, you know, she wants to get ahead. She's certainly, you know, vying to get a promotion and, and to get further in the public defender's office. But it's for her clients, you know? Like, when you start off five paces back in the race, you got to work just as hard. You got to work super hard just to catch up so that you can at least start somewhere in the beginning of the race on equal footing. And she realizes that for her clients, so she works really, really hard. And yes, we definitely have that in common. My friend Keisha and I have been having this conversation over the past couple of days about being workaholics, and it's a very, very real thing. I am definitely guilty of being a workaholic. Um, you know, in Hollywood, it's, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, we are just starting to sort of catch up now. But, you know, when I started in this business, it's it was five steps back. People before me who started 10 steps back, 15 steps back. So we've been playing catch up all this time. And so you feel like you have to be a workaholic in order to just get to the starting line. And then you go, you know, so by the time you get to the starting line, you get, you need oxygen. You got to have people helping you where the water stands at. Hello, cheering, you know, cheering squad. Um, but then you, you're expected to run this race and run this race without complaints and run this race like, what are you talking about? We're all equal, but we're not, you know. And so definitely there are some similarities for, for different reasons, but certainly, certainly similarities in the workaholic. So now let's talk about your resume. You know, after reading that bio, I realized, and, you know, doing my research, I realized that your resume is, is very diverse. You know, this is more of a serious role, but I think M. Chuck, she was more of like a little, you know, a little snipe, snippy with it. And so how do you pick the roles? How do you say, make the decisions on the opportunities that come across you? Um, that's a very, very good question. And I think that now I have a responsibility to make sure that I choose roles that actually mean something because I have more eyes on me, right? right. Um, when you first start out, you, you just want to eat. You just want to pay those bills. You want to get it done. But as you start to kind of gain momentum and you start to gain people who are actually interested in your work and people who are starting to look up to you, young girls who come up to you, you want to, you, for me, picking a role is about there being some sort of redemptive quality for the character if it's a if it's a bad guy and some sort of growth for the character if i don't see like you're not gonna just make me a monkey like i'm not you know what i'm saying i'm not interested in your little monkey roles your sambo situations like you can keep that okay we're beyond that um and i think that if i see if i see a role that actually grips me like i i always read a script as though i'm a viewer and if I'm not interested in reading that script from beginning to end when I first started. I don't really want to do it because ain't nobody really going to want to watch it. Right. So what's the point? We're just spinning our wheels here. And I've had to, unfortunately, turn down quite a few roles because I'm like, you know, the script is bad, right? Like, this is, this is trash. Okay. I'm not, you're not trash. But this right here, this trash. So I can't do it. Um, or turn down, I've, I actually have turned down parts of, of scripts that were good because the part was just not, it was not anything that I felt like I could ever speak about. You know what I mean? Either there was nothing that really happened with the character, there was no growth, it was literally just like a, like one half of a quotation mark in a phrase. It's like, what'd that do? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> 
So I have that, those are the things that I look for. I look for the quality of the work. I look for the quality of the character. And I look to see if there's something, like if someone wants to come and ask me questions about it, I actually have a backstory that I can give to you and, and talk about with this character and actually make you think and make you have a conversation. Right, right. Now, now to my next question, how many of us have experienced disappointment? You know, we want that job, right? You, <laughs> you want that job, and then you get that rejection let email that you know we went with the other candidate, and we know that you've experienced, you know, disappointment, especially with you know survivors remorse. You know, tell me a little bit as an artist. You know, we have very we have a lot of creative women here. So as an artist, how do you cope with disappointment? Because I think that it's really important as women. You know, we get really down and hard on ourselves when we don't get an opportunity or when we mess up, but tell us a little bit about how do you cope with disappointment? How do you cope with discouragement when, when it happens to you? This is very important. Please listen to me when I, when I say this. You have to get to a point where not only the disappointments, but the wins for you aren't enough to shake your spirit. Yes. Sometimes when you, when you feel super disappointed, that means that you're going to feel an equal opposite reaction to the wins right? That's not good either. You have to be at a point where you're like this, right in the middle. That way nothing shakes you. Because really at the end of the day, none of it is about you. Everybody here is a vessel for something much greater than yourselves. Yes. And if you have not figured that out, then you have not found your purpose. So for me, I realized, <laughs> thank you, I realized that, <laughs> that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And that became very, very clear to me. Because I started off, even with this, I started off having those super highs and super lows. And then I thought, something is wrong with this. I don't not want to do this ever. Like, I love this, but I have to figure out a different way to cope with this. Because if I'm going to continue in this business, which is, this is my dharma, my life's purpose, I have to be able to figure out a way to sustain myself even when no one's around to pick me up and no one's around to call and, and offer me their shoulder to cry on. And that was the way that I did it. And the way that I came to that, I started to meditate and I started to journal. And, I, and I'm sure that many of you have heard this a lot, but I'm gonna tell you again, because it's very important. You have to be able to to stay at an even keel. And even when you feel good, that's the easiest time to kind of put aside the work, the spiritual work that you're doing. Because you're like, I feel good. I don't need it. That's when you need to make sure that you stay on it. Because it's, it's about getting in the habit and making that your practice. So for me, I like to meditate in the mornings. I like to get up and I like to write in my journal sometimes. If I'm having a particularly interesting day, I like to write in my journal two times a day. You know, but it's just, it's a source that I can go to and I can just unleash and I can say everything. And I, you know, I was having a conversation with my assistant and she got really, really frustrated about something and she was coming to me and she was talking and I was like, a couple things, don't ever talk to me like that again. Um, <laughs> no, I, I did say that. But the second thing was you need a journal. You always have to have a journal so you can write down the first and or second or third draft of what you want to say <laughs> to someone so that when you go to them, you can always be kind. Um, I think that applies across the board. If you've had a, a crappy day, if you've heard a lot of no's, trust me, I know no's. Even now, this, is, this, is, this makes my life no more of a cakewalk than it was when I started 10, 15 years ago. It's no more of a cakewalk today. I still hear the same amount of no's. It's just I get no's for bigger names. 
that's it, you know, bigger names than, than I got knows for before. Before, ain't nobody heard of her and ain't nobody heard of me. Now, a couple of y'all heard of me, but more of y'all heard of her, so we're going to go with her. It's still a no, and that still doesn't feel good. How about that, sir? I'm not speaking from personal experience. Yes, I am. I am. This happened very, very recently, like two days ago. Anyways, um, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, no, you go, you go and you kind of, it helps you to process things. That's the thing is like people don't realize that you have to constantly, constantly process. Our brains are smart. And that whole thing about we only use a small percentage of our brain I personally don't believe that. I think we're very evolved creatures, and I think we're learning more and more as we become more spiritually aware. We're tapping into more parts of our brains, and we're becoming smarter, and we're learning how to heal ourselves, both mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. But the way to do that is to process. So you process things by talking about things. And if you don't have people to talk to, sometimes you don't trust everybody. Sometimes you shouldn't be trusting everybody that you're talking to. That's... That's where the journals come in. That's where the meditation comes in. It's, you go within. Um, yeah, that and just making sure that, you know, you have other things that fulfill you and sustain you. You know, don't make... I, I, I don't like being a fanatic about any one thing. I like to go to church and I have that. I like to ride my bike and have that. I meditate and I have that. But I have these things that keep me, you know, together. Otherwise, I'd probably be stabbing folks right now because it's been a minute. You know what I mean? It's been a minute. No, I believe it. I mean, let me tell you something. We was having a praise break downstairs. We was shouting and stuff. Mm -hmm. I still feel the residuals. Toyota, Shanta. We was praise breaking and we was also praying. So I, I, I could testify to that, that, that's, you know, praying. And in addition to the writing things down, um, how many of you guys have a journal? Okay. How many of you are about to get a journal? Right, don't be shy. Listen, if I just touch one, praise God, I've done my job. Do we need the collection plate? Should we? <laughs> Tiff and Tosh, do, can, we get the, can we get the baskets? No, it's all good. No, no, it's all okay, good. It's this, all is, good. This, is, this is my gift. And so what's, what's the end goal, Erica? What's, what is your end goal as far as career? You know, I actually want to do more of this. I, I really enjoy speaking to people, and I really enjoy sharing experiences and sharing my journey. My journey is far from over. This is, this is the beginning of a, of a brand-new chapter, probably a brand-new book of my life, and I know that there's more to come. But in that, I think I want to be more open and, and share a lot more um, especially with our black women, because we need that. We don't have the kind of sisterhood that we should, and it's not our fault, but it is our charge to change that. Um, and I think it starts with us being willing and open to, you know, talk to each other. No offense to my brothers, you know. Uh, you matter, sir. <laughs> you matter. They just matter more right now. <laughs> Cause that's what we talking about, okay? So, but yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to speak um, to our to our black women, and especially to our our young women. They're kind of entering their sort of like teen years, because those preteen years are the years that you know we're just so unsure about ourselves, and we're also so susceptible to the things that people say and the things that we see. And you know, now that we're seeing a lot more <clears throat> positive images 
of black women and we have black superheroes and things that women can look up to, it's getting better. But we still need, we need to be able to, to touch and feel and see and know that, you know, it's not unattainable. It's not something so far away from us. Like, I'm right here. You're right here. Like, we're together. So I think that's going to be another um, part of my life going forward. And I'd like to kind of segue my writing into a couple of books. I got some stories, y'all. Okay. Some stuff people probably wouldn't believe. Listen, okay. And and tell me, well, you say you were, you know, you're open to talking to teens. What's something that you would tell your younger self, young Erica Ash in the streets? What's something you would tell young 13, you know, year old Erica? I would tell young 13-year-old Erica that, um, Okay, so here's the story. <laughs> Both my parents are preachers, so I grew up this close to crazy. Um, and my, I was always curious, and I was always adventurous. I always just wanted to get out and do stuff and, you know, just explore the world and to see as much as I can. And I was always, you know, I always had friends. And if you didn't want to be my friend, that's okay, because she did, and he did, and cool. You just let me know when you're ready, because the door is always open. I was always that kid. I was very you know, welcoming and let's all kind of get together and let's run around and play and do stuff. And my mom stopped me one day and she's like, you know, Eric, I think you have a going demon. A what demon? A going demon. A going demon. Because I like to go. You like, okay. I'm always going somewhere. And I was like, is that, is that a thing? Because like, <laughs> I associate demons with hell. So because I like to go places, does that mean I'm going to hell? I don't know. So I probably tell my younger self that, yes, she probably did have a going demon, and it's okay. And it's gonna get you far. So you make friends, you make peace with that going demon, and you guys coexist and keep it pushing. Okay. Yeah. And I'd, I'd also tell my younger self to keep that, to keep that, and you know, because I, I I look at children sometimes and I, I envy their innocent entitlement. You know, they run around and they don't, they don't know care. or care that the world is crazy and upside down. They just want a banana, mom. You know what I mean? <laughs> they just want to go outside and like ride bikes and skate. And you should let them. And I, you know, I have a goddaughter who basically drags me. Like, she runs me. Like, whenever I'm around, she's like, and Gotti always has a surprise. Where's my surprise? I'm like, I just got off a plane. Can you just give me a second? to?" She's like, nope, I need a surprise. So I'm running through my house trying to find stuff. Because it's like, when you have that, when you have that sense, the world opens up and gives you what you want. You think about it, like a kid will be like, I want ice cream. You try to figure out, now how am I gonna scrape together $5.99 to get this one scoop from Baskin Robbins when we pass, because I don't have no car change, but you wanna make it happen. That's the way that the world works for you. You have that intention and you expect it, and the world shuffles. Like, whatever, I'm not gonna make this about God, right? I personally believe in God. Whatever, I believe that if you have some sort of higher power that you believe in or something bigger than yourself, that's also something that's very, very helpful in keeping you here and in moving you forward. So I feel like God, I'm going to call it God. You call it what you want. I feel like God is the parent 
And if you're the child and you keep having that innocent sense of entitlement and it comes from a pure place, God's always going to move and work to make sure that he gets that $5.99 so you can have your proverbial Baskin-Robbins ice cream scoop. But you just have to keep that in your mind, you know? Yes. And, and, and I think that's where it, it comes from. Like, nothing is by coincidence. I believe nothing is by coincidence. Like, we were talking about earlier how I was telling you my testimony about how we made this happen. It was just like, you got to... you. When I tell you, y'all, Tiff and Taj, we were we were all praying to make this happen, and we were praying. And I just feel like not not to make this all you know about Christianity or whatever, but just shout out. <laughs> Come on, Jesus! <laughs> I'll tell you something. I'm not afraid to get ugly for Jesus. But, you know, I feel like it's it's so important to speak things into existence. It is. You have to speak things to existence. You got to believe it. You got to pray. You got to work to it. And if it doesn't happen, I something better mm-hmm. is going to come. I agree. I've spoken my entire career into existence. I started off, for those of you who don't know, medicine. That was my thing. I went to school. I went to Emory University. I was pre-med. I, with my friend Keisha. <laughs> um, And that was my thing. My parents were like, this is what you're going to do, because this is what makes money. This is what we know. So boom. And this is what we're paying for. And it wasn't wasn't until maybe about junior year that I kind of figured out that this is not what I want to do, but I'm not really sure. So then I kind of started exploring. And then I started deciding that I wanted to go down another path. And I would say it to myself, and I would write it in my journal, and I would make vision boards. I did all of those things. But the thing is to keep doing it. I think the problem with, the problem with people and, and manifestation, right, which we are all capable of doing, you are all walking miracles. Every single one of you has the ability to do exactly what it is that you want. But the problem is, is that you give up right before you get it. And that's what you got to stop. Like, when you start to feel like it's not going to happen, that's when you just got to find another way to start manifesting it. So if you've been saying it to yourself every night before you go to bed, saying it to yourself, and then you get to, like, you know, three months, it hasn't happened. Well, I'm about to give up. No, you just need to, to maybe change your methodology. So start doing a vision board and have pictures of it and put those up everywhere. And then if that, if it doesn't happen then then change your methodology and start meditating and start chanting it to yourself. Whatever it is that you have to do, just don't stop saying it. Don't stop manifesting it. Don't stop calling it into existence because, you know, there are many times along the way, like, listen, this is new. Survivor's remorse is is new. I've been been doing this for a minute. Y'all just now seeing it. (laughs) You know what I mean? And if I had stopped... In year one, two, three, four, five of my career, none of this would have happened, you know? I have to constantly remind myself about that. And if y'all see me in the street, just remind me, because that's why you need good people around you. You got to have good people around you who believe the same things that you believe and who believe the same things and want the same things for you that you believe and want. That's the other leg of it. So you have people who kind of remind you of your dreams and keep pushing you forward. And if you start to get discouraged, they're there to be like, listen, this is what we talked about. You slacking on your pimping. I need you to get back into the manifestation piece and make this happen because you're encouraging me just as much as I'm encouraging you. So when I'm watching you manifest your things and make things happen, it's making me realize that I can make things happen. That's why it's so important to shine. 
right? Because I, I didn't start out with luck. My parents were not rich. This was not any kind of a, there was no walking into the business. Nobody knew me and be like, hey, let me just give her a roll. No, this is all me bouncing energy off of other friends, other family, and us encouraging each other. So there's a lot of people to, to, to thank for even getting me this far. And I think that by speaking and talking and encouraging and hearing your stories and sharing my stories, we can just encourage each other and keep on going further and further and further. Like, what's to stop us if we really put that kind of intention, not only into ourselves, but into each other? Because everyone that you encounter reflects you, right? So if I'm encouraging you, I'm getting encouragement as my reflection, right? If you guys are encouraging each other, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. Both y'all could be broke as I don't know what. But y'all are encouraging each other. Next thing you know, y'all find a quarter on the, on the ground. Be like, oh, I'm a, look at me, 25 cent richer. Put that quarter in your pocket and keep encouraging somebody else. Next thing you know, somebody done dropped a dollar. Jesus, Jesus. They go that dollar. Keep encouraging each other. But it's about the energy that you put out because everything is energy. And if you start, if you start to vibrate on a higher frequency than where you are, and that's all in your control, then everything else around you will start to vibrate. You'll start to get those reflections, right? And if you see yourself in these, I don't even remember what question you asked me. I'm just on something right now. Go on, come on, minister. Come on, you preaching. If you start to vibrate on this higher frequency, Mm -hmm. you'll start to see people in higher positions coming at you because then they become your reflection, right? You start to get jobs that are much better because then that becomes your reflection. So you got to keep going with that. So all of that is in your control. So start where you know you can make the change and that's with with your mind. Thank you. I don't even know if that answers your question. It probably didn't. But God, he had a word. He turned it around. You reached the end of another great episode of the She Boss series. Have you listened to the full season yet? Tell us what you think. Connect with us at benchmarkcreativegroup.com. And don't forget to sign up to our newsletter so you can hear all about new episodes, new seasons, or get an opportunity to experience She Boss live and in person. Oh, don't forget to follow us on social at the BCGNYC. Now, that's T H E B C G N Y C. See you later.